This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of Ghosted, an American story, written and narrated by New York Times best-selling ghostwriter Nancy French, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Better Samaritan, where we're having conversations about how to do good better and faithfully. Hello, welcome to The Better Samaritan. We are grateful to be seeking how to do good better with you. My name is Kent Annan. I'm here with Jamie Ayton, and we have a special episode for you today. We recorded this while we were a couple months ago in Ukraine doing some training there. It was an amazing experience. It was an honor to be there, the people we met. And we recorded different clips while we were in Ukraine. And so what we're going to do for the podcast today is play those clips, and then we'll do brief explanations and reflections back in between. And you know, we're grateful to be coming to you from the studio right now, and then also from Ukraine, the airports and the cars and different spots along the way as we keep on learning with you. So thanks. And here we are starting out in an airport. So we're here in the airport. We are doing something new and we are going to arrive tonight in Kosice. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right correctly, in Slovakia, and then tomorrow we go into Ukraine. And so we wanted to share with you some of the experiences along the way, just taking short clips of what we're seeing, how we're feeling, what we're, what we're experiencing, what we're learning as we go through this trip. Yeah, so you may be hearing some of the background noise, and so we just want to be able to share with you a little bit of what we're noticing today. And I'm feeling like we've been preparing for you know for years in some senses, and preparing for weeks to come. So I'm definitely feeling excited and also a little bit nervous because uh, you know we're working with people who are going through. People in Ukraine are going through. Want to give the best we can. So that, that's kind of my feeling. How about you, Jamie? How are you feeling uh, today? Well, I was feeling starting to feel a little more prepared until you reminded me that there's a second day training that we're doing. <laughs> so that. Uh, definitely made me feel a little more anxious. <laughs> we also did end up having to go down and up escalator at one point. Uh, so fortunately, we made it through that. So we'll be checking in with you. Grateful for your interest in going along with us and we'll talk with you soon. So you heard us there in the airport. The way this trip started was with a partner from one collective who we've worked with on other things before, and they're doing a lot of response in Ukraine. We've been talking with other organizations working in Ukraine, and we wanted to help. You know, Jamie and I are thinking, you know, what can we do from a distance? You're probably feeling that too as you watch this war unfold. And we thought, oh, this is one of the things we could do is this training. And in conversation, we planned, we thought about the materials we've been developing for years, thought these could be really helpful in this context because of other things we've done and so you know started talking with our families jamie and talking with our colleagues at work and with the partners and started planning and you know it's this idea and we we're watching the war and then the plan came together pretty quickly like over weeks to say okay let's do this it feels like a way to be faithful and to respond and we knew we were gonna have to be learning a lot along the way which is why we were doing this podcast as well just a live conversation to share with you and one of the things, Kent, that you know, I felt was really meaningful was that even before we got on a plane to get to Ukraine, that we were already working with a number of Ukrainians mm -hmm. living here in Wheaton, some, you know, yep. our colleagues at the college, 
as well as being able to connect, you know, by distance, working with others in Poland and Ukraine as well, who really helped to culturally contextualize the spiritual first aid training that we were going to be doing. Yeah. Part of how you do these projects is not totally knowing what you're getting yourself into is part of how you say yes, you know, and then translating and finding people and working together with the community and people were, yeah, many Ukrainians who were pitching in just to get us, help us get ready. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that it seems like we often tell our students is how important it is to plan and to do your due diligence to get ready, but to also know as soon as you step off the plane, your plan's probably outdated. <laughs> and uh, case in point, you know, we spent all this time thinking through different security scenarios, what were the different risks, you know, got our iodine in case there was an attack, you know, I mean, all kinds of stuff that we had to think through. But the one thing I realized looking back that we did not plan for was the escalator. So you briefly mentioned that in that last clip, <laughs> but what Kent did not share was it was this giant escalator and we thought it was taking us up to a lounge. And as we get to the very top, we realize it only goes one direction and it's actually leaving the airport. And so we're standing on this little kind of platform area trying to figure out what to do. Kent being more athletic than me, you know, after a couple minutes decides to just like, you know, shoot down this escalator, go in the other direction. And he makes it safely and it pauses. And I'm thinking, okay, here's my chance. Now I'm going to go. And all of a sudden I see Kent kind of pop his head around to check to see, am I coming? And now the escalator, because he did that, starts back up again. And I almost trip and tumble and almost, you know, I thought we weren't even going to make it to the airplane. So <laughs> exactly. Yes. The, uh, not, we weren't expecting those as part of our risks of this trip. Yeah. So unfortunately, we didn't have anybody to get us through the airport, but we did have a great guide on the ground in Ukraine. And his name was Mirslav. And the next morning, he picked us up early at our hotel and I can remember he was wearing a T-shirt and jeans, and you could see just a little bit of dirt on his legs, which he had explained later that he had spent the morning trying to find his dog, that he had gotten loose and he had been running around the village trying to find him and finally got him, you know, got the mud off of him and got home and then came to pick us up. And as we were getting in the car, I can also still remember on the front seat seeing all these different kind of placards or like little posters that had different aid agency logos on them. And so those were different groups that he'd been driving back and forth across the border. And after we get in, he starts sharing some of his own story about how he had actually held political office in his local village and sharing some of his experiences there and how he'd been working with a number of aid organizations providing just really important care for those that had been impacted. And in many ways, Mirzloff really helped set the tone for our whole trip of really helping to contextualize some of our understanding going into this training. Yeah, you want to go ready to have something to offer, but go as a learner, you know, is essential along the way. So what you'll hear now is us with Miroslav in Slovakia coming up close to and approaching the border with Ukraine. All right, so we are in the car coming close to the Ukraine border, Ukraine-Slovakia border. Miroslav is driving us here. We've been talking with. He's a local politician in a town nearby and been great learning from him and we're excited to be going across the border soon to learn more and to get to do some teaching and working with people. And it's been great hearing from Miroslav as well about all their really generous response to refugees when they were first coming across the border and how it strained the system and people were generous and the whole dynamic of that. And so it's a great day. We see the kind of rolling hills out in the distance and we're getting close to the border now. And you know, one of the things, Kent, that Mirsloff was sharing some was about just the overall impact that's had here in Slovakia. 
as you think about the training we're getting ready to do, what takeaways have you had from our conversation so far with Mirslov? Yeah, I think one which we'll be talking about, I think, as we do this training, is that you know there's the initial energy and generosity of helping, but the, all of us get worn out by that eventually. And so, like the, after that initial burst, how do we keep helping well after the initial burst? An important takeaway, and it feels like something we'll be talking about. Miroslav was experiencing. How about you? What else have you thought about it? You know, one of the things that really stood out to me was just about how oftentimes those who are helping also have challenges that they're facing. So, exactly. you know, here in Eastern Slovakia, hearing about the impact on power and the cost of gas going up over 50% mm -hmm. and how many are facing a financial crisis, but still trying to help others who are coming in from the war as refugees, that there's often that kind of multiplying effect of challenges. Yeah, we never help in a vacuum, right? We have our own hurts and challenges as families, as societies, and it's within that context of challenges that we're helping others. It's an important thing we, we talk about in spiritual first aid is, is keeping that in mind and how do we manage that. Um, so Miroslav, we really enjoyed driving and talking with you as we get closer to the border here. Tell us just a little bit more about how you see your community. What's been the, the best part of responding to this refugee crisis with the war in Ukraine and what's been the hardest part for your community? Yeah, so uh, the best part of was on the early beginning when this uh, wave of refugees started coming to Slovakia and all people in Slovakia were like together to help them, supply them with the food, with the shelter, with the transport. And, but there was the problem because Slovak government doesn't help anything or nothing with uh, to them. So all the help was done by the people and by the NGOs. Yeah, and then what's been hard for continuing to help for months and months? What have you noticed kind of as you and other people continue to be generous? Has that dropped off some? Has it become harder for people to keep helping? Yeah, yeah. So this wave of uh, refugees or the volume of refugees which are were coming to Slovakia was decreasing or less and less people are coming to Slovakia. So also you can see the like uh, decreasing of support of uh, the people from Slovakia and but I think it's uh, logical uh, because they don't see the real uh, needs or real uh, needs what the refugees uh, need because the from my knowledge or my opinion the more refugees stays in Ukraine now right. so Slovaks uh, they don't see them anymore there's a lot of people are so a lot of the people are kind of internally displaced yes. people we call them now so they're staying kind of staying within western ukraine and not coming across the slovakian yes, border yes. right now yes yes what i what i see so also you can see the change at the border in the slovak side there was a lot of tents to helping the refugees with the food so now it's like empty and uh, actually from today the ukrainian side stopped allowing the people the crossing border by the walk for pedestrians so, so at, the, at this border that we're crossing here they can't people can no longer walk where many many yes. people walked across for many months but now yes. they'll have to drive across here and there's another border you said a little yes. bit further south yes. where they can still walk across yes yes they opened this like uh, for pedestrians like for emergency so now we can see this emergency is over so no more refugees is uh, running uh, through the borders, but uh, we will see what will be in the winter time, you know, because winter is coming and uh, 
So we have the messages from uh, the central or from west of Ukraine, from east of Ukraine. So there is problem with the food, with shelters for refugees and uh, we are ready to help them. And what kind of challenges do you see ahead as we start to approach winter in Ukraine? So biggest biggest challenges uh, to find uh, enough room for for uh, all these uh, IDPs. Okay. Can, can you explain what an IDP is? Yeah, so that's that internally displaced people. So that's Miroslav saying, so then as people are staying within the border, but then they may be pushed across the border if there are not, a, you know, not enough shelter and not enough food as winter comes, that they'll be pushed to come across Slovakia and even try to go further west in Europe because of those challenges, right? Yeah, they are, they are writing uh, at this uh, in, uh, in Ukraine. They, they are close the border and they wait, you know, how this uh, war will continue. So if the war will be worse for Ukrainians, they are ready to cross the border very fast because they already left their own houses from, uh, in, from the east. Yeah? And uh, we see there is the problem uh, in Ukraine to find uh, enough room for them. So all the apartments are full and uh, the prices uh, of rent uh, are rocket, skyrocketing up. and. Uh, they aren't able to pay for for the rent of the rooms. Right. And can, you know, one of the things that probably a lot of people are familiar with is the term refugee, or maybe they've heard internally displaced people that term before. Could you unpack just a few more of the differences between an IDP versus refugee status? Yeah, like Miroslav was just saying, it's really the the simplest fact is just do you cross your nation's border or not? So, as Miroslav was saying, so there are people who have fled Western Ukraine because of the war, they come east, so they're essentially living as how we would think of as refugees. They're away from home, they don't have jobs, they're vulnerable, they need everything provided for them, but simply because they're 10 miles away, you know, 25 kilometers away, and they're in Ukraine, that they have that same situation, they're internally displaced people. The moment they cross over the border into Slovakia, then they're refugees according to international convention. So that's the difference and you can see as he was saying that what we're hearing and learning today is how the next wave may come because of winter where they're internally displaced. It, it could change because of the war changes and you know some different dynamic where they feel more vulnerable but there's a, the other vulnerability will be weather and provisions and that may push them to cross the borders coming up soon. You know, as we were having this conversation, I can't help but think about some of the work that our team has done over the last decade in the Kakuma refugee camp in Kenya. And you know, one of the things that uh, memory that really stood out to me was that here you have many of the churches within the refugee camp who were needing assistance, but one of the things that really moved me was the fact that they were also ministering not just to those who were inside as refugees inside the camp, but also they actually felt that some of the most vulnerable were those who were internally displaced. So you had additional, like these little shanty towns right. that had kind of popped up just on the edge of the refugee camp, and those individuals unfortunately couldn't get some of the same sorts of resources as right. the refugees were accessing that was available through you know UNCHR, for example. Right. So they were actually taking and rationing some of their goods to give to those who they felt were the most vulnerable, which were displaced uh, camps just outside. Right. Yeah. And it's in these moments, often, as we've been talking with Miroslav, you hear, and like you were just mentioning, Jamie, like you hear 
great stories of generosity that happen kind of within the communities and outside, but also we will always want to remember the vulnerabilities of people who are in the countries who aren't displaced or who are just, you know, within those communities or hearing about people just across the border here whose energy prices have gone up 50% recently, who are older and don't have money and resources. So always want to keep that generosity in mind that's always encouraging in these situations and also uh, the vulnerabilities. So any last words kind of as you think about this, Miroslav, kind of, as we get close, really getting close to the border now, anything you'd like to share with people who are, are far away, maybe listening in the United States and, and, you know, they saw that first wave and think, okay, what's it like now as you keep on working and keep on responding to this crisis? So we are now like 10 kilometers, 8 kilometers from the border. So actually I work more now inside the Ukraine. So I work with more humanitarian organizations and we provide... Uh, them with the help, uh, with the medicines and uh, distribute inside the Ukraine. So it's like uh, we moved our help from Slovakia or from Slovak border inside the Ukraine where is the more IDPs and they need the help. So also a lot of uh, humanitarian organizations, they work on this in this base. So this they supply the people inside the Ukraine with the food, uh, with basic food, uh, basic uh, hygiene needs and uh, but it's uh, very difficult because you cannot see actually these refugees like in camp, they are inside the houses and uh, in apartments so when you go to Ushorod or in Mukachevo and in Rio, you can see just normal life, you don't see any refugees on the street or something like this, it's, everything is like hidden so people who are not interesting about this, they, they actually, they don't see them. Yeah. yeah, you know, that seems to be kind of an ongoing theme, no matter if it's a war, if it's a tornado, if it's a flood, that out of sight, out of mind, unfortunately. Right, yes. Exactly. And then it has been, and it, ultimately, sometimes it's policies change and it's better when refugees are integrated into the community instead of out, you know, isolated in a camp. So that's been something that uh, has been kind of increasingly worked on and it's better, but then the problem is what you and Miroslav just said, they can be out of sight, out of mind. So Miroslav, thanks for driving us safely first uh, yeah. to the border <laughs> and across, and then second, thanks for Hopefully help. we will cross the border fast, so <laughs> we won't wait them for hours, yes. but sometimes <laughs> happened. <laughs> That's the next thing, and then thanks also for, well, for all the work you've been doing, you and your community responding generously when okay, we, yeah. so, we were watching. So we will see uh, when we will go back at Saturday, so what do you will say about yes. it? Situation? <laughs> exactly. We'll, we'll what talk do with you will find out there. We'll talk with you more then. Thanks, yeah. Miroslav. Okay. So next you'll hear us at the end of the following day. So we got in after that drive with Miroslav and spent the evening with our host who had organized this trip, had brought together people, and we had about 200 people who we were meeting with that next day. We trained with, uh, you'll hear us talking about and it was NGO leaders, uh, Ukrainian or internally displaced people, mostly Ukrainians, a few expats, Americans and others, doctors, psychologists, students, as they canceled psychology classes for that day. There were faculty and we did it at the National University of Uzerod, which was great. And again, we showed good local leadership to 
as the organizers and more and more people got interested in this. And so it was in the main lecture hall at the university. It was a big lecture hall, very modern, white walls, nice like light wood stage that we were up on, kind of like a stark aesthetic to it and a great place for training where we spent that day with these 200 really impressive people. And I was really encouraged by the number of churches and church leaders mm-hmm. and missionaries that were also there for the training as well. And it was just great to see people from all these different backgrounds working together and wanting to figure out how to make a difference. And one of the things that I remember as well about that uh, lecture hall was there was no 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 cooling there. It was by the end of the day, it was really hot, but I was glad that afterwards, which you'll hear us talking some about being on the porch of our host family, being able to reflect on the day, the rain starting to fall, we're kind of tucked back off of this main road, but where we're at looking out from the second story porch, all you see are trees and some solar panels kind of hidden away in the backyard of this house, uh, and it's dark and you start to hear the rain slowly fall. We're sitting here on the porch of our host after a full day of teaching. Rain falling slightly, you might be able to hear it. City lights flickering around and just feeling grateful for an amazing day of teaching. Amazing not because of our teaching, but amazing because of the 200 or so people that we got to spend the day with. Yeah, and you know, for me, one of the highlights was just being able to see so many people who they themselves have been impacted in some way by the war but so eager to continue to help others. Yeah, me, me too. I think like they weren't just looking, they weren't at this to help themselves, which would be totally understandable. It might be me, but to help others, that just felt like they carried this day and it was an honor to be there. You know, and it was like the curiosity and learning, people were really engaged. And But the reality, you know, nearby with so many examples and talking about you know how can we help each other but then so many opportunities to help others in this situation where people are trapped by war or they're displaced from their homes you know are limited so that like that combination of honor and grateful and progress and excited to see people learning things that they think are going to be meaningful for them you know and that heaviness just there throughout the day as well and curious like as you reflect on this day of full training and the stories that we were hearing, as well as the stories, you know, from the meals that we've shared with others and time in the community. What do you see as some of the biggest challenges facing Ukraine right now in terms of maybe spiritual, emotional needs? Yeah, I think that uh, it seems like we've kept hearing this echo of the needs are never ending, you know, as they try to help others. And people are tired because now it's I think coming up around six months into the war, and you know they're they're quick to point out that the impact of the war started even years before this for them in a different part of Ukraine, and so you know just that exhaustion, compassion fatigue, but still pressing through, and you know not always having training and how do we help people in circumstances like this? Some people have said, oh, we have some head knowledge, but how do we actually do this? So how about for you? What were your thoughts on sort of the needs and and how how people were seeing what we were off kind of humbly offering them could be useful in their lives. Yeah, you know, for me, I think one of the things that I also really enjoyed today was in many ways feeling like we learned probably more than what they learned from us, mm-hmm. actually. And just to be able to hear about 
how they're able to rely on their culture and one another and what a source of strength that is. So, you know, for, for me, a highlight was actually afterwards when we went to dinner and we were having some traditional food and they broke out and one of the songs about a prayer for Ukraine right there yeah. in the restaurant. About 20 people sitting around a long restaurant table. Mm -hmm. And eating shish kebabs larger than I knew were possible. <laughs> <laughs> No, that was a remarkable moment where you think, oh, we get to be in their lives and, and this is a country at war and they want to to defend their freedom. And I, the other thing that was remarkable is we're kind of doing this and it can seem normal-ish, you know, as we're mm -hmm. doing training. And then an NGO worker we were talking with last night, Ukrainian, and she said, oh, yes, this and this trauma care is important, all this. And this, this is how we're helping the couple hundred people that they're taking care of in their NGO. And then we also see if we can procure, you know, bulletproof vest to get to the front line it's just like these super harsh realities it's just for for me like just punctured through at the moment you know it's like every hour or so just something like that like, whoa yeah well speaking of like puncturing through in the moment you know towards the end of our training you know kent and i had been talking about okay this is kind of our plan for like the next hour or so as we're getting toward the end of the day and all of a sudden uh, air raid sirens go off mm -hmm. in the auditorium and all our phones and all our phones and everything yeah yeah and that was a reality check and you know everybody's quickly you know kind of bouncing up at the top of their seat and everybody trying to figure out okay is this just a drill or is this actually an attack and you know thankfully it was just a drill but even with that I think it really brought the reality of that to what we were talking about today in terms of uh, trauma and how it impacts the body and, and the soul and the mind and to see how you know even these things that are meant to keep us safe remind us of the struggles and of our own mortality yeah like the woman who is one of the two ukrainian women who were up on stage with us at that moment you know she you were kind of saying how did you feel and how people kind of understand their body and psychological reaction and she's and she kind of was up there sitting next to us and like my arms tensed up and you know just mm -hmm. like it, this this reaction yeah like you said for reality of what a whole whole nation and obviously some are it's fear and others it's really bombs dropping mm -hmm. but it's definitely present all along the way as well yeah and just you know the realities of that mind-body connection you know really came through i felt like during that part of the training where you know, Kent just mentioned about like somebody talking about like, the way it felt in their arms. And, you know, we actually just kind of opened it up of like, what did you notice happening inside of you in that, that moment as the sirens were going off? And, you know, we heard things from, you know, fear to I could feel it in my stomach to my body was flushed with heat to my heart was pounding. Mm -hmm. So just really seeing how going through an experience like this can impact all of who we are. Yeah. Yeah, so really just a remarkable day. We have one more full training day tomorrow that we're doing, and then we'll leave tomorrow night. But just today felt like a, an honor to be part of and so many curious and smart, dedicated people. And so can't wait for the day with them tomorrow. So we're headed now to day two of our training. So we just got onto the highway and headed to the university. And we're here with Doug Landro from One Collective. Doug, thanks so much for spending a few days with us. It's our pleasure. I wonder, could you share just a little bit about what you see as some of the biggest needs churches facing here in the Ukraine right now during the war? Well, we actually have a sister church partnership. We started to help churches 
we have like a church, half their people have left as refugees to other countries. Those who have stayed because of the war are without jobs. And so the tithing and the offerings towards the churches are so low that the churches cannot even pay the salaries of their pastors. And prior to the war, even most pastors had a job on the side because the churches already were struggling with paying salaries. And so now the pastors can't work on the side because there's they're 24 seven working with IDPs, mm. you know, mm. and so they can't do jobs. And so we've stepped in and are, are connecting with American churches and, and European churches as a sister church. We're helping them cover the salary part for the pastor during these hard times. But that's very difficult for the churches financially. Yeah. What a great example of how churches can help churches being directly impacted. Are there, there are other ways that you see that maybe, so most of the those who are listening are going to be from U.S. churches. What ways could they get more involved? Depending on the regions, I mean, it's not safe to send short-term teams, obviously, in unless you're coming like here to Ujgarad, where it's safe. One of the things we're doing here is we're developing longer-term housing. We have nine temporary shelters, currently about 175 people staying in those centers. But at our height, we are almost 500. But we're finding people are staying now. They're not, <laughs> those who are heading off to Europe have headed to Europe. And so our temporary shelters are not really designed for people to stay at long term. So we're building tiny homes. So one of the projects we're working on is building 18 tiny homes and looking at bringing some of the our sister churches that we're partnering already to send over teams to help us build these homes. So that's one way. We bring over medical teams. So if the church has a couple of doctors, we could uh, set up something we call pop-up clinics. We go to their different shelters and do a day clinic there. Uh, so those are some of the things we're doing right now with short-term teams. So Kent, I just realized one of our dreams is actually happening. So, you know, we ended up going with the podcast name, The Better Samaritan, which I think was probably the right choice. But do you want to share a couple of the other names that we thought about? And then I'll share how we're living out one of those. We did have the fern between us since Zach Galifianakis was already in between two ferns. I can't remember other ones. We did have a few. Yeah. So one of the other ones was humanitarians in cars having coffee, (laughs) you know, after the Seinfeld one. And I just realized that's what we've been doing here for the last two days. Yes. So, Kent, you had those some more serious questions for Doug. <laughs> Doug, you know, you know, for uh, those of us in American churches right now, we can't imagine the church in Ukraine going through bombings, whether themselves or, or you know, families and families, part of the family of God and just people you know in other parts. What are you seeing on a spiritual and emotional level for Christians around the country going through this time? Well, I can only observe what I'm seeing here in Ujgarad, so we're not really in a conflict area. So when it first started, there was a lot of pitching in and excitement about helping IDPs. And I would say after six months, you're seeing a lot of fatigue. A lot of, a lot of, I mean, churches had shut down their buildings and filled them up with refugees, and but now they say, hey, we want our churches back for services. And yeah, so I'm seeing a lot of fatigue. The churches here are very tired. We are a major destination because we are a very safe area in Ukraine. We're about as far from the conflict as you can be and still be in Ukraine. 
and uh, we've only had one bomb dropped in our entire region during this entire conflict. So, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Obviously, people are. It's their country, you know, and so they are just glued to the news all the time. My wife's Ukrainian, for example, and it's all day on the phone watching news, you know, uh, just really focused on their country. Uh, yesterday I was telling you that the opening lines of the Ukrainian national anthem is, Ukraine is not yet dead. And this goes back to, you know, 13th century, you know, that Ukraine has always been ruled by someone else, yet Ukraine is not yet dead and survived. And so they have a very, very much a survival spirit and that's what they're doing. They're just surviving. Yeah, that, that courage and survival has definitely come through. Uh, just in two days, we've been, Jamie and I have both been just really struck by it. How about people you've talked to who have fled? I know you've talked with lots of people who have fled for those who are, you know, people of faith and Christians. Uh, are they leaning more on their faith? Is it hard to keep leaving this time? I know you have a limited sample, but just anything you've observed right. with them? Those who do come recover fairly quickly and they just join in with us in helping IDPs. Like we just, one of the ladies in our center was commenting the day saying, I forgot I was an IDP because <laughs> oh, wow. she's so involved wow. in the ministries that we're doing here now. Um, she serves others. And she, and she was, really powerful. And I just forgot I was an IDP. And But majority are not. You know, we just did our camps for children and especially those who were in the spending days in the bomb shelters they were just under so much trauma but when they first come to our centers these kids they're just staring blank you yeah. know the whole world is just collapsed remember we talked with someone else a couple of days ago who just talked about that kind of blank stare as well especially in children it's just heartbreaking to see and you know let alone yeah. imagining what it is to imagine that and you, uh, you, you see that. mothers holding their children you know and then after a while when they because our centers are all run by churches you know they start to melt you see the change within a week, I would say, or two weeks. And when you say melt, what do you mean by that? Just smiles come back to their face. Mm -hmm. You know, you can see it in their expression. They're feeling safe. You know, that there's hope. There's something forward, you know. From and, bomb shelters uh, or with no hope as and, it falls to. And, and they come to our church service on Sundays out of obligation at first. You know, oh, they're taking care of us. We have to go to their service, you know. And then, like Robert, who you met, the professor, you know, he's one of those. He's not, wasn't a believer. But then all of a sudden he sees what true followers of Jesus are like. And it just brings us interest in them. Like, this is, these are not the people I thought. So you heard us in the car with Doug driving to back to the lecture hall at Uzrad National University. And we spent a great morning in training with these 200 leaders and doing role plays. And every time we asked a question, you know, sometimes we found in big groups, when you ask a question, it's hard to get someone to respond. And we just felt like we had to say, okay, we, let's keep moving because people are so engaged. And we've been asking all along the way from the moment we arrived, because we want to be learners in these situations to have conversations any way we could. So we did the training for the morning and then we went to lunch. And then after lunch, We'd asked if we could meet with any students because we care about students. We work with students all the time. And so some of the psychology students were came back early and we went back 
to the back of the lecture hall, and there was a little door, and we went through, and there was like the conference room. It was probably like the boardroom for the university, and sat down at the end of this really long boardroom table around the edge, and it was amazing to get to talk with some of these, I think they were all freshmen too, five Mm -hmm. or six freshmen, women and men, and ask them about their experience, and they were eager to share. So... You, all four of you are freshmen in university, as we say, freshmen, first year in university. And it's hard being starting university, but you're starting under these really difficult circumstances. Are you finding you're able to concentrate on studies and be focused? We're really glad you're studying, but how is it like starting as a student when your country is in war? Вы такие свежачки, английский я такий термин. Тільки вступили до університету і зрозуміли, що вам ще у вас такий первинний етап, але наскільки важко для вас зараз сконцентруватись, виділити цей час на навчання, коли а, країна знаходиться в стані війни? Взагалі, коли я приїхала, я ще училась в школі, тому... Когда я приехала, я еще училась в школе, поэтому вот этот вот период окончания школы, месяца два-три, я просто не могла выйти на учебу, мне было очень тяжело, как морально, так и физически, просто не было ни... So, when the war had started, and I moved here, I was still in a school, so, and it was hard for me to study, because all the time I want to check news, and I cannot concentrate. But now my city is uh, deoccupied, and I'm really happy for it. So it becomes easier for me to concentrate on things and to study more. What are some of the biggest challenges facing young people in Ukraine because of the war? Які найбільші випробовування, з якими найбільшими випробуваннями стикаються молоді люди через війну в Україні? So fast change of uh, circumstances. You don't understand where are you, why are you here. Мені слишком быстро прийшло осознання того, що надо взрослеть, надо что-то менять, надо как-то уже быть более самостоятельной и приучаться к чему-то новому в этой жизни. A really quick understanding that you need to be an adult and you need to grow really fast and to have some more things to do in your life and to be responsible for it. After we finished speaking with the college students, we jumped back in to finish up the second day of training. And we were really focusing on spiritual first aid over these last two days that teaches spiritual and emotional care from a biblical research and trauma-informed approach and really trying to give them these kind of basic helping skills that they can use on the front line of caring for the overall needs that they're going to encounter in very practical ways. And we've been able to see how this could be used in a number of different contexts and just so encouraged by how people in Ukraine were able to learn it and start to apply it right away to their lives and helping others. And now you'll hear from our interpreter, Marina, getting to share some of her story of reflecting on the last few days with us, as well as her own personal story. Hi, I'm here with Marina. We're in the back of a car driving through Uzrad and Marina just spent, well, we're going to test her mental acuity because she just has done a ton of translating us for the last two days. We're very grateful. 
impressed that she's still cogent. So, Marina, to first tell us how you came. You were, we were talking earlier. Where were you before the war started? So, my hometown is Uzgorod, but I lived in Odessa. It's the south coast of the Black Sea. And when the war had started, I decided to stay there for a little. And I started to work as a fixer for CNN. But months after, I decided to come back home because my parents were so stressed that I'm near the front lines. So, and I decided to come back home and I stayed here for six more months. So that's why I'm in Uzgurit now. And just briefly, what were you doing in Odessa before you came? So I worked as art manager for Museum of Modern Arts and I still work there but online and it's just a few tasks per month because we have only social media work now. Mm -hmm. And so we just spent two days together, two and a half days, we're so grateful for your translating. What was your observation of uh, what we did together, the work that we did together, because you were very much part of it? I'm really so grateful that you come here and help people in my city understand what is it a first aid in psychological sphere because not a lot of them know knew about it before and I really like that role play I really enjoyed it as much as I can because I've never seen this before how it worked and for me it was something really new in this because I had the course for kids how to provide first psychological aid for them so I knew some things that you shared with us but role plays helps me to understand how to work with adults mm -hmm. and how I can even talk with people who need some help right yeah a number of people said they'd never done that practice like to learn a technique uh, an intervention of how to help but then to actually get to practice it and do it yeah it was was really helpful and our goal was oh we're coming here and it's not just theoretical people need this right now so hopefully after two days they can leave and really use this yes. uh, tool yes. and then what have you seen and just the people you're with what kind of stress has been the biggest stress for people in these moments is it being away from people being and what are the stresses that you see in people's lives right now and your friends and community here so for now it's seven months of the war so people try to be to look normal at even but still like it's like seven months but they still want to share their stories to share what they felt that first days they still need some help really so for me it was really weird to meet people on this online course and heard how they want to share their first days of the war like why like it's seven months of course you shared this story with someone before but they still want this house they still want to share their story right. so it's so right. important for them well marina thanks for sharing your story with us here and thanks for all the help you're vital to doing this training the last couple of days so thank you thank you So Kent, we finished up day two and we're headed back now just uh, about 10 minutes from the border of Ukraine. What were maybe some of the biggest takeaways for you? Or... Yeah, I think it's just about 10 o'clock at night. We've got uh, Miroslav is driving us, so just as we were on the way here, light rain falling, shadows of trees all around us, and yeah, it's always too much to try to capture in words, but I, I think um, 
thing we've been talking, mentioning to people is just gratitude, feeling really honored to get to be in that space with 200 people for the last two days, people who were internally displaced people, people who had fled violence themselves, people who were doctors and professors, college students who were there. So it's just the people who come to mind immediately and think, you know, it was an honor to spend time with them. I still need more time as we talk here to think think more, but that's what comes to my mind. How about you? Yeah, I think for me, it definitely comes down to the people that we met and just felt very humbled to have the opportunity to spend the last few days with them and also to learn from them. And one of the things that was really impactful for me was that despite the many challenges they themselves are facing, that they are still wanting to learn how to do good better, to be able to love their neighbors. Exactly. Yeah, we were actually in a dormitory this you know, after we finished teaching for the day with probably 20, 25 people. Yeah. About 10 of them were maybe 15 students, 10 who were IDPs, displaced people were coming and they're all living together in the dorm because one floor of the dorm was given to displaced people and I think having both those groups together and then you know talking with both and we were asking both of them you know different questions but like that sort of courage and need on the one side and then students kind of saying oh we're tired but we still want to learn how to do better and how do we ask questions and you know that exchange was really inspiring to me because it showed how hard it is and people talk about being bombed and different things but also how they kept going and also the people who were tired of helping but still wanted to keep helping and get better at helping you know as we listened to that last group that you were just describing there was a statement that one of them made that i think is something i'm still kind of processing some but they i don't know if you heard but one of them said that there are no more windows in my town. Yeah. And, you know, that was them describing of the constant shelling and bombing that was happening and how hard it was where in some locations where homes were staying, where they'd been displaced, but now you have soldiers from the other army who may actually be living in your home and how that added a whole other layer of just difficulty for, you know, it's hard enough to lose your home, but then now your home's being occupied right. that added a whole nother level of uh, challenge for many of their struggles. And now at lunchtime, we spent half an hour talking with I think five, four students, five, four or five students who are all freshmen, university students at the university where we were speaking. And you know, the one, I think we kind of caught both of our ears, but one said at the very end, like, yes, it was good talking together. We've all just been through a life crash. Yes. And, you know, I've just kept thinking of that phrase, you know, that, uh, a country full of people and in different ways that have gone through a life crash. So, again, I'm still thinking about it, but it's a powerful phrase to think about how do you then recover from this life crash. And you could also hear from some of the young people that we were speaking with feeling like as they came out of COVID-19, hoping that life is starting to get a little bit more back to normal without there being so many lockdowns and then suddenly the war happening of feeling like that they've had to almost jump ahead in years of age yeah. right that many of them said that you know went from thinking about what was my major going to be to how do I contribute to society now mm-hmm. right right exactly any other yeah other reflections kind of as we go back what's what are your thoughts as we you know approach the border and come back and what does that mean to 
cross borders into places of difficulty, but then we, you know, we get to leave and how does that tie into how we try to do good better? Mm. You know, I think one of the things that I know is always important for us are those types of small conversations that we were just talking about. And I'm just grateful for the host that we had who helped us to set up a number of conversations before the training, during the training, on breaks, well into the night, that those sorts of small conversations, I think, were so critical for us to really understand, knowing that we're not fully going to be able to understand, but to have a better sense of the pulse of what's happening and learning what has worked for them in the past and what have maybe others come in previously that have tried to share that just wasn't useful. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I think in these sorts of situations, it's always just so important for us to constantly be learning from others. Yeah, that's a great point. I think being a continual listener and learner, you know, is the most important thing. And hopefully I have something to contribute that we're coming in this situation to teach, but definitely come humbled by the chance to spend time with people and knowing that we've never been through an experience like they have and yeah that's definitely one as we we leave and then also I always think there's a an element and it can play out in hundreds of different ways but an element of when we uh, kind of step into people's lives who are in crisis and vulnerable like we've just done that we do have some responsibility to bear witness to that as well. Mm-hmm. And so part of even doing this podcast, you know, has been thinking, okay, if we're, if we're have the honor to be here and to work with and to serve folks and we want to help to share the story. And I think people were telling us their stories sometimes so that we would share them as well. And the stories that we heard, I think are ones that I'm not going to forget. Oh, for sure. You know, hearing people having family that they've lost or fleeing, their homes being shelled, but also the stories of generosity and hope that have emerged. And also some humor. The lots of our jokes mm-hmm. uh, failed. They were laughing too and would tell jokes, you know, like any of these things. So it's fun to find the, the joy and human connection in the midst of it all too. And, you know, you had asked about what does it mean as we're crossing, the, getting ready to cross the border, that one of the things that this trip for me really kind of, in some ways it felt like connect the dots a little bit for some experiences I've had helping in different disaster humanitarian contexts that the same struggles that many people have in the middle of a war, especially as helpers, of worrying, am I going to say the wrong thing? Or maybe I think I know what this other person needs. That those same challenges are the same sorts of challenges I know that I've heard in my own church or, you know, from the students that we teach or experiences that I often feel as a helper. You know, obviously there's many different new elements to it, but just that there's so many things that do cut across even culture. Yeah, I think those things that cut across, and I think we both found this inspiring, and I think we mentioned this to a few groups we were meeting with, and the curiosity that everybody we were teaching and talking with and how they can keep doing good better just was, was definitely a highlight of this kind of commonality of, you know, some more extreme and some others of experience, but then have this 
kind of common curiosity as well that's great to get to meet all kinds of different people in different places who want to keep learning how to do good better so we're grateful to get to do this with you travel with you jamie travel with miroslav here who's driving us and that you know so many people that translating the organizing you know all these things are such a team efforts and also grateful for you who are listening that we get to keep seeking how to do good better alongside you so it's been a few months kent since our trip in ukraine what's your big takeaway yeah we actually just listened to these clips in the same way you're listening to them right now as a listener and grateful for you i'm going on this journey with us and yeah i actually i was i should have more developed thoughts but i still feel the same way like it was just an honor it was amazing to be there the stories the people those different moments we shared have really stayed with me everything from how do we prepare and serve well how are we good listeners to how do we bear witness to stories so what stuck with you during this time you know, since coming back, I've heard a lot of people sharing stories from and out of Ukraine, mm-hmm. you know, both the good, the bad, the painful. And I think it's a good reminder for me of not to romanticize suffering, mm-hmm. that look for those moments of hope, but also to embrace the reality of the pains that we're going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And as you've done, have you thought more about the like the work, the training that we've done? How has that that kept? You know, how do we equip people in those moments as part of the work that we do? Any other reflections on that part of it? I think as we move forward, is to continue to think about how do we just continue to strengthen collaborations and to get the right people in the room to talk about where do things go from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we mentioned at the end there, so much of this is teamwork and insight and listening all along the way. Like collaborating and partnerships is key to doing any kind of work in complex situations like this. And that there's never going to be just one training, just one intervention or one answer to addressing these sorts of needs. Right. It and takes all of us working together. Yeah, and we're still having conversations about collaborating and how we can continue to serve there as well. So we wanted to leave you with a something that we finished our two-day training with and we wrapped up again it was really meaningful and at the end a group that was there we mentioned them actually earlier in the podcast that had been singing at the the night before at the restaurant so they sang that same song and everyone else listened you know who was at the training and then they started singing what's become like a national theme song during the war and we were sitting on stage with translators marina and another translator who you met earlier and they started singing and we just found it a really moving moment. So we wanted to end this podcast by sharing a clip of that song so you can hear them singing as well. for listening to this special episode of The Better Samaritan. As Kent and I shared in today's podcast, 
One of the most powerful moments we experienced in Ukraine was when participants spontaneously broke out in song, singing their national anthem at the end of our spiritual first aid training. And we want to share this moment with you. So go to the show notes and click the link to watch the video of the audio clip that we closed out the episode with. In our show notes, you'll also find the link if you'd like to learn more about spiritual first aid, as well as how you can support the important work One Collective is doing there. Feel free to email us with your questions or comments at hdi at wheaton.edu. And we look forward to being with you again next week as we continue together in this journey of learning to do good better. Thank you.